This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Welcome back, Scott Hamilton of Ken Mode. He returns, and we talked about this a while back. Uh, he scored a film, a short, called The Druid's Hand. And in addition to Scott, we have the co-writer and director of that film, Mitch Oliver. In addition to making films, Mitch is also a fellow podcaster. Check out his show, The Terror Table. I actually listen to it regularly. I've been ripping through episodes. If you like horror movies, and I love horror movies, and any of you guys out there who listen to Necromaniacs, please check out his show. You'll find that his opinions align very closely to the opinions of the Necromaniacs camp. Before we get going, I want to shout out the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. On Monday, Horror Wolf 666, another excellent horror podcast hosted by Brandon Legion. Tuesday is the premiere Extreme Metal Podcast, Into the Necrosphere, hosted by Jackie Smith. Wednesday, of course, is Everything Went Black Day. Thursday, Necro Thursday, you can find us doing the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. I co-host that with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid. Sunday, Carl Hikara comes at you with Soul Knox, a show dedicated to all things esoteric, dark, and macabre. Carl and I are in the middle of um, doing a collaboration. Or actually, we're not in the middle. I would say we're in the beginning of our collaboration called Darkness Weaves, where we explore the work of Carl Edward Wagner, a criminally underrated horror fiction and dark fantasy author. If you like the podcast, that's awesome. Really appreciate all the support. Definitely like us. Uh, give us some five-star ratings. But you can also support the podcast through the Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a supporter and you get access to all of the bonus content, which includes whole sub-series as well as Friday staff picks. For $5 a month, you get the bonus material plus early access to all of the episodes. And for $25, you become a sponsor for the month. And that means I will give you a custom ad read similar to last week's episode. And uh, it could be about anything. Your project, your business, a band, your own podcast, whatever. And it could be for one month or two months or all eternity. So, gentlemen, uh, welcome to uh, Everything Went Black. And, um, you know, Scott's been on the show before. And uh, he's the one who turned me on to uh, The Druid's Hand and also the podcast, The Terror Table. And uh, 
Mitch, so you're, you're the, uh, the, the writer and director of The Druid's Hand and also the host of The Terror Table. So uh, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm becoming a, a pretty avid listener to The Terror Table, actually. Oh, man, that, that's awesome. Thanks. Uh, actually, likewise, I've been listening to Crushing a Bunch of Everything Went Black and Necromaniacs as well. Oh, awesome, uh, since man. Scott, Scott put me on to all your stuff as well. So I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I, I co-wrote the, the Druid's Hand with a friend, Jesse Sawitzki. Uh, but then, yeah, I directed it, and here I am. <laughs> Scott actually previewed me a little bit of kind of your story with filmmaking. Um, yeah, let me maybe talk about that first. And uh, so you you kind of came it came to filmmaking later, I guess, right? It wasn't sort of the thing that you you didn't go to film school or anything like that. You just kind of like, no, uh, no, I didn't go to film school. I had considered it. It was during the pandemic. Uh, just kind of hit a wall, like I'm sure a lot of people had, and. Uh, figured that I needed to do something. I just wasn't feeling, you know, fulfilled in any way in my life. And film has always been the most important thing to me. I've always wanted to pursue it, but it always seemed out of reach. And then once, you know, everything locked down, it just kind of had to face the fact that like anything can change at any moment. So, you know, you may as well just go for what you want out of life. And, um, you know, it's a big thing with, uh, podcasting, which I know because obviously we're on your podcast, uh, you create opportunities for yourself by, by opening up a podcast and reaching out to folks. And uh, I was lucky enough to interview and discuss my passion, which is horror films with a lot of amazing people uh, who are all, you know, making a living doing it. And uh, they all have their own different paths, but you know, it's also one of the things that connected me with Scott and uh, just, yeah, basically every good thing that I have in my life right now has come from creating those opportunities on your own. So how how, uh, how do you and Scott meet exactly? I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm a longtime admirer of Scott Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> so I grew up in Saskatoon. I now live in Vancouver. Uh, but, you know, I grew up going to local underground shows where I'd see Scott performing with his band Adeline and, and uh, the various other acts that he'd be involved with, like New Jack and all that stuff. And I just always... I always looked up to him and uh, I spent a lot of time at CD plus in center mall for Saskatchewan listeners. Um, yeah. I don't know. CD, CD plus might be a Canadian chain. I, yeah. I'm not sure that made it to the States. That was one of, one of, one of the last big chain record stores that like mall stores that went down swinging pretty hard. I was, I, I was employed by one of the, the final CD pluses. Yeah. And uh, it, it's funny because I ended up working there for like three weeks. It's the only job I've ever been fired from, uh, but I never ended up getting to even work a shift with Scott. But uh, I was always an admirer of of what the, the work that Scott did. And, you know, I got into heavy music at a young age. Heavy music and horror movies were always such a big thing for me. And it was, you know, going to the once again, this is very local, but like the basement in Saskatoon was an underground club that uh where I got to see like my first taste of real underground music that wasn't like anything that you could find on the radio. And uh, it was like really, you know, groundbreaking bands like Adeline that and seeing Scott and these local guys doing that, it just drove my passion into I, I ended up becoming a musician and I played in bands for 15 years. And um, it was all be like it was that moment seeing Scott do that and then see him in CD plus and going to his staff picks and seeing what the guy's listening to and i'd always like pick up whatever he was into because i was just like a little fanboy. um and yeah it, it was that that's a, that's how i got to know or that's what i knew of scott before but then 
I got involved with the film festival in Saskatoon there and Scott's the programmer at the, our art house theater, the Broadway theater. And uh, through that and just being able to bump shoulders at the festival, talk a little bit about horror movies, inviting him onto the podcast, just pretty much became fast friends uh, a couple of years ago. So you were, you were kind of working in more of like, uh, for lack of a better term, like kind of like the administrative end of filmmaking, you know, working, you know, organizing with the film festivals, things like that, and not so much the technical side of things. Is that correct? Yeah, well, that was like my my involvement with film before I moved out to Vancouver here and before I made the Druid's Hand was through the film festival and then just, you know, talking about it on podcasts. I was a plumber a couple of years ago. Um, so like I, I was in the trade for six years and uh, that's what that was the last job I had before I transitioned into filmmaking. And uh, I've been very lucky and very fortunate to, you know, there's also I, not to downplay the amount of work I've put in to get here, but uh, I did. I managed to find my way and find find my footing in the industry here and it's all going really, really well. And so that's what I do for a day job now. And, and in my free time, I'm making movies, trying to trying to get more of my own stuff made. So what is the first step? I mean, I look at filmmaking as kind of like sorcery, you know what I mean? It's, um, yeah. you know, there's like, I know, I know how to put a, a Blu-ray into a Blu-ray player or hit a link <laughs> and there's a picture and music and dialogue and a story. Okay. Yeah. So what was your trajectory from starting from square one into actually making a film and, and that, that whole process of like the technical side, learning how to tell a story, like all that sort of stuff. I think the, that's the thing. So I didn't go to film school, but the truth is I've been studying film my entire life. And it's it started out with special features on DVDs. I've always been a collector of physical media. And uh, when DVDs started coming out and, you know, I would just buy everything that I could or rent everything I could get my hands on. And I'd watch the special features. And that's how I kind of learned how the sausage gets made. And uh, it, that part became so addicting for me and I, I've always been fascinated by it. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think that I was ever actually going to do it until a couple of years ago. And, and now that I'm doing, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, but now for me, it's just, you know, coming up with the idea, getting the story on the page and really, really thinking about it. Um, I know when Jesse and I co-wrote The Druid's Hand, Scott was the first person that I gave the script to. And it's because, the, you know, I... I trust him and I trust his taste. And I, I also know that Scott can be, he's very opinionated. Like most people who are, you know, when their opinion is worth anything, they can't just be someone who just loves everything. Like, and it's, he can articulate what is, why he didn't like certain things. And that just, you know, it helped the story and it gave me the confidence to, to get out and actually make the damn thing. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, yeah. So what, what was the learning curve like, though? Because I'm, I'm always fascinated by people who make these uh, transitions. Like you said, you know, being a plumber is a yeah. great, great, it's great work. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I have a huge respect for the trades and, you know, craftsmanship and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, working with like a crescent wrench and channel locks versus um, making films. Yeah, it's completely different. Completely different thing. So how, what's that, what was that learning curve like, though? Like, you know, what? It's, you know, uh, not to out myself uh, to everyone, but you, you have to pretend like you know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, oh, I, know, I, be... I know, I know that feeling definitely. Yeah, <laughs> and even if you don't have the answer, you got to come up with one quick. And uh, as a director, your film is going to be terrible. No one's going to be working their ass off on it. it's. It's so it's such hard work. Like you know, not and 
we just talked about like plumbing the trades it's it's really hard work but making a film was the hardest work i've ever i've ever gone through and but it's also so rewarding at every turn but uh yeah it's it's leaning into everyone else's strengths like you know i'm not a cinematographer i don't know everything about lenses i don't know everything about a camera uh but i got a really incredible dop in my corner when we decided to make the film and you know you learn from everyone uh, i think it was even who was it was it uh kurt russell who's like my god he he didn't go to film school he went and started working on film sets and he got a job in every department because he just wanted to know how people do their jobs and how it works and I know David Fincher is the same way as that. He's he's like, I need to have a good idea of what everyone does in their field. And that's just going to that explains why he makes masterful films. Um, obviously, I'm not comparing myself, which is that's the that's the way that I'm going about it now is I try to soak up every every second with with creative people learning what they do. Yeah, Fincher's definitely has his own sort of unique vision, you know, and I think that uh, I think it could be said even similar with music where there are people who have like incredible technical ability but maybe they there's like that that left field element that they might not have because of the rigors of studying it in a in a technical manner and um and i think well, a lot that, of that, get, like that i was gonna say like that kind of gets into the conversation about you know the 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 function of school and whether someone is prepared to make the most of, of being schooled in, in the arts in, in any capacity, right? Like if they go to uh, music or film school or whatever, uh, depends on how you, what you want to do with those tools. And if you learn to just be really masterful from a technical perspective, but you, you know, wind up uh, investing so much in that corner that your, your brain kind of goes into uh, stasis, then that's a dangerous thing too, right? Like you do have people cautioning against being overschooled sometimes. And, you know, we've got an entire generation of like Shredder's Delight, Eddie Van Halen type guitar players who don't write compelling music. They oh, don't, yeah. you, know, you know, eventually they're, you know, like, I mean, they, they would be absolutely appalled by what it is that I do but uh, they don't have anything to tell me that I'm interested in hearing as a result. And I think there's that, there's completely that exists in film in a huge way as well. I think. Yeah. That that's like one of the most compelling thing about art in general um, is just how you can just grab some guy off the street and maybe he's like a genius, you know what I mean? Like he might be creating something that's just like completely resonates with you versus someone who has spent all this time learning all the subtleties and technical things and there's valid validity sort of in both of that, both of those uh, approaches, you know, but uh, so, so Mitch was, um, was it always horror for you? Like, or was there, you know, when you, when you were essaying into making films, yeah, was it always horror? Always. I, I so I'm just, obviously, I'm just a fan of cinema in general and the, the art form of storytelling, but it's absolutely from the get go. Like when Jesse and I decided to make the Druid's Hand, we didn't even, it, it did, didn't even have the conversation about what it was going to be. We both knew without saying anything, it's going to be a horror movie. And now I'm like, you know, gearing up for, for the next one. And it's, it's absolutely, I'm just keep on amping up the horror. And uh, I definitely want to work on, you know, other things eventually, but right now, like I, it's where it's my wheelhouse. It's where I'm comfortable. It's where I feel the most, uh, I guess, safe with myself. Like I trust, I trust myself in horror more than any other genre because I've spent so much time 
not only just watching it, it's just the analyzing it. And, you know, that's, that's something that comes with the podcast as well is when you're, you said a, like for a while there, the terror table, we went every single week, not ever missing an episode. Now, lately it's slowed down because I'm living on the other side of the country, but it keeps you in. That's like a school of itself is to, you know, just keep focused on the genre and exploring films that you haven't seen before. Now the, the podcast predated the film, right? I'm because oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Okay. I just want, I, I was looking at the dates and everything. I was like, all right, so this is the podcast has predated that. Yeah. We started that six years ago now. Just insane. Cause you guys cover a lot of the stuff that I like to watch and you know, your, <laughs> your opinions are, you know, pretty much in line with the opinions I have about things too. Which I have noticed that listening to Necromaniacs is uh, <laughs> we, we definitely are kindred spirits. Yeah. So what, what was some of the stuff like, uh, you know, with your experience with horror, like what brought you into the genre? Like what was your, you know, like as a kid, like what, what drew you in basically? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, um, like I'm sure the same for both of you, the video store era of going into the video store, seeing all the cover art. And that was like the section. It was almost like the forbidden section. Whenever you're told don't touch something, your instinct is going to be touch it, touch it, touch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was what happened with me. Uh, I think the, the like my favorite film of all time is Jaws. And I still think that was the first horror film I ever saw. I know a lot of people don't consider it a horror film, but they can fuck themselves. Um, <laughs> but there was that. But then I got into like my parents would take me in the video store and I would see it was Child's Play 2, oddly enough, like this, this, the sequel. I saw Child's Play 2 before the first one. And there was something about the cover art. And I just became I wasn't like an, a psychopath kid where I was like, oh, I think Chucky is fucking cool and I want to be just like him. But I also wasn't scared. I was just like so enamored by it. And, you know, thinking about it, like I got into like the Leprechaun movies when I was really young, too. Oh, There's yeah. something about being a kid and then having the the imagery of like killer dolls or a leprechaun um but yeah there was like that and like the gate the gate was a huge one that's a good uh, canadian one. film yeah, yeah which has been so cool because i have uh like my favorite one of my favorite pieces of artwork i have is a limited edition mondo poster for the gate and when i moved out to vancouver here i actually got to meet the the director's friends of friends and got to have dinner with them and it's so amazing so i'm like that movie fucking changed me uh, when I was a kid. And I think that's one that doesn't get enough love. Uh, but I, yeah, like the gate. That, that's a good one. I recommend that to people actually quite yeah. a bit. Scott, what about you? I don't, I don't think I ever asked you this question. What, what well, was the point? I, the, the one that I remember the most, so like the big thing with me was I, uh, and, and, I and I have a hard time placing the actual time. I remember at my my youngest moments in a video store uh, wanting to pull from that that section. It, 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 it's big time video store stuff because just going into the section was the most exciting thing that happened that week alone, even though I wasn't allowed to see any of the movies. And I remember having the only thing I was able to rent uh, that I was given a pass on was uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller on VHS, which also came with a per Mitch's uh, discussion earlier. It came with the making up that was attached yeah. to it, which is obviously much longer than the the actual music video. And um, and so I got I got a pass to see that one, and I kept watching that over and over again, even though it wasn't really scary, but it was. It was like anything that was related to a deviation on what it was I was supposed to dig as a kid. Like, you know, I, I didn't like cartoons. I didn't like things that other kids like, but I liked 
Count Docula because it was all messed up. I get it now because it it kind of belongs to a pocket of films that are actually quite depressing. And so it actually is really congruent with the type of stuff I'm into. But um, uh, I was, you know, I would uh, I would cheat in that way. But I think that the first full blooded horror film that I can recall having seen and it and it it was a bit of a steamroller moment for sure was at a neighbor's place I saw Nightmare on Elm Street part three so I saw that one first uh which had the dual effect of uh it 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 came with the uh, the doc and video packaged prior to the uh prior to the uh the movie starting so I was like oh okay well like you know lab get like is the very similar thing when it came to metal and just rock music in general access was the problem and so uh it already had a you know sick guitar solo on a guitar that was shaped like a, a skeleton baked into the thing so i was all in on that and um and also as you know like i'm, I'm kind of more or less and mitch has had to hear me talk about this ad nauseum because i've been on two episodes of terror table that are related to nightmare on elm street is that right yeah i think i think two You've been uh, on like I, five times, but I know because we, we covered the first one and the second one on your yeah. like Nightmare on Elm Street run. But then we also did the uh, uh, we also did the uh, rating episode that I was a part of, which yes. I, I think I, I, I advanced some very hot takes. But the um, the third one, uh, obviously, like is everyone's favorite. Uh, I think that it was the right uh, it, it was the right mixture of elements for I, I i couldn't have been older than seven i was probably in and around there and it just turned into an appetite uh thing at that point because i i think at one point that was in and around like within a few years it was getting into like divorce territory for my folks and it was just like well we got to keep them busy well like we can't keep our you know like there's just other life stuff going on and uh and i mean probably could have stood to have had that not happen but at the same same time all of a sudden uh no one's keeping an eye on me and I'm getting my hands on a lot of stuff that uh I maybe shouldn't and that led to the glorious day uh when my my mom just got them to uh put a uh full pass on the computer at my local family video that just said rent him whatever he wants I don't want a phone call about like because they always had to call her and say can we rent this to him and uh she just got sick of getting the phone calls i have the exact same story yeah (laughs) yeah like the exact the around seven years old divorce territory don't bother me at work let him rent whatever he wants why is my kid fucking yeah no wonder it turned out the way no wonder we are the way we are (laughs) well and i think you'll remember this too mitch i think i might have even mentioned this last time i was on the podcast mike for for us in town here almost every video store had a seven movies seven days seven bucks deal and so uh that was you just you just made a stack of stuff out of that section and and got busy now granted you spend a lot of that time like repeat viewing all the franchise stuff so like you know i it, it was a little wasted because it took me too long to get around to renting some of the stuff that are like my favorite movies now um, right right but but uh so like you know like I, I i i slugged it out in the franchise territory in a pretty big way but like yeah nightmare 3 was probably the first full-blooded real horror movie that i can can recall seeing that's a great start that is yeah. a good one. I mean, and everyone who listens to this podcast knows that, uh, you know, they know this story. But for me, it was uh, my mom and dad took me to see The Exorcist in a drive-in when I was like, 
I don't know, like four or something like that. Like it was, it's literally the earliest memory I have is watching that movie in the car with my parents. And uh, it kind of put me off to horror films, actually. That early part of my life, I was like, oh, I'm terrified of this stuff. It's too scary. I, I don't know what I'm, th- what, I don't even know what this is, you know, but that'll then, do it. Oh, yeah. You know, and then, then I started watching stuff on television, like the Hammer Horror films and, you know, Chiller Theater here in the tri state area. There's, uh, you know, Channel 5, 9, and 11 always had horror movies playing on the weekends and things like that. And, uh, and I think it was actually that the Hammer stuff that really drew me in, you know, like, you know, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee yeah. and all that cool stuff. I don't and, know if I've heard you talk a ton about that, Mike. Are you still a fan of that stuff? Oh, I love it. You know, you know oh, cool. We don't really, yeah. we don't talk about that stuff. I think, I no. think actually we should, we should dive into that a little bit more on Necromancy. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of that stuff. I played in a band uh, that had that as a like thematic frame, like a horror rock band for many years. And there was a lot of references to that and like the Abacus stuff and everything like that. I really yeah. like that stuff. I don't know a ton of people that dig it. So I yeah, just, I, I, it just occurred to me, I haven't heard you on the podcast talk about it a ton. Yeah. yeah it's, I love it. Well, I, I know Mike likes it too. So I'm mm. sure we'll get into it now some point yeah open invitation where we can do that on the tear table as well because i've been wanting to dig into the like hammer stuff like i that's like a new discovery for me is really getting into that over the last couple of years uh but now like i saw mask of the red death for the first time a couple of years ago like right before making the druid's hand and i've seen that movie like 10 times since like it's like i come i put it on in the background just fucking love the mood and everything are you talking about like the, the, the corman one you're talking about yeah 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 like, i, I that that movie is i think i think that corman's uh his his um uh poe uh adaptations are are underrated just because people like to drag his name or whatever and say oh yeah he just makes schlock or whatever but i just watched the the raven for the first time it's so good it's so good and witchfinder general oh yeah just the most evil shit like oh god in the mood and atmosphere it's just unreal yeah vincent price was uh a a big favorite of mine early on in life. Cause that was another thing. There'd be the four 30 movie, which would be on weekdays when I was a kid and I would come home from school and the four 30 movie would come on and they would do like a whole week of those Corman movies. It would be like all the, all the Poe adaptions. And that's, that was my introduction to Vincent Price and Roger Corman's films and Edgar Allan Poe. And when I was like, my reading skills had matured to the point where I could, you know, attempt reading a Poe, novel or short story rather short stories that's what got me into reading Edgar Allan Poe was the um the uh Vincent Price Roger Corman pieces so yeah yeah well apropos to oh I didn't mean to do that as a uh, uh, but I did I did not do that on purpose um uh this is a weird question for Mitch but uh I'm, I'm curious uh because there's a bit of a an age gap even between Mitch and I um, but uh, I, I will start with asking Mike, uh, do you know about the hilarious House of Frightenstein, speaking of uh, Vincent Price? I, I don't know that at all, actually. I don't know. Okay. Never heard no, you don't. Okay. Well, see, Mitch, I thought maybe you, because it is a Canadian production, but there is this, I'm going to have to send you guys tons of information about this. I was just talking about this last weekend with uh, with another friend. Actually, we were watching Witchfinder General and listening to music with the like, with, with the sound down on Witchfinder. So actually just watching that. But uh, um, Vincent Price was featured on this wild borderline cable access show that was shot in Canada and Ontario in the, uh, I think it was the early 70s, maybe the late 60s, no, early 70s. Um, 
I should know all this. This should all be fresh in my mind. But it was like this variety show that played in Canada as a kid's show, but was playing more as like a show for like college stoners in the States. I know it got picked up there. And it it was mainly all done by like all of the acting was done mainly by the one guy. They shot like 120 episodes of this thing with like skeleton on screen crew. But they uh, it, it's it's like a it's like a variety show that's horror themed. And the guy who wrote and uh, was like the creative mind behind it played like 80% of the people on screen. It was, it, it is a fever dream. It's terrifying and weird and like, but it doesn't intend to be. But again, back to the, I referenced Count Ducula earlier. It's supposed to be for kids, but it's like really, it's all about like disappointment and nothing ever works out for anyone. And like half of the sketches end with like somebody crying or something like that in this vacuous like dungeon and and just like nothing like like just the whole core of the the show is about shit not working out for people and everyone's bad at what they do um and uh every but like because there's only so many people in it they have all these weird bumpers and vincent price they brought in because and, and and according to the the literature surrounding it i guess he just wanted to do more stuff that kids could see uh it, like he just yeah. he is you know he did all horror movies and he like he dug you know like he never got asked to do anything for kids so he does all these you know uh, poems and stuff like that and they had him in for i can't remember how many days it was but he shot just like like it must have been hundreds of these things and i think it was just over the course of like a weekend but i guess he was like getting pretty loaded while he was doing it and so depending on which ones they pull like he looks he looks drunk oh, and yeah. he's wearing all sorts of weird costumes and you can tell he's just getting silly. It is some of the weirdest Vincent Price esoteric uh, that you can get your hands on. Uh, it's it's fucking awesome. You, Highly you, recommend looking it up. You unlocked a memory, Scott. I looked it up. I've absolutely remember watching this on TV and like <laughs> it's so yeah, this is great. It's just like triggering memories. But uh, it, yeah, it's like kind of Munsters y uh, yeah. like the vibe. Yeah, kind of that vibe. Yeah, it's it's it, any any uh, if, if you get back to doing a Vincent Price like themed anything, Mike, you should look up the hilarious house of Frankenstein before you do just get, do yourself a treat. It's, can you find it online? It's somewhere like on YouTube or whatever. Uh, there's full episodes online. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just okay. I just found this out because last last weekend I because of Witchfinder general, I was hanging out with my friend and uh, and I asked him about it and he didn't know what it was. And uh, so that ended up being what was on in the background afterwards. It's it's again it's nothing shy of a fever dream it is it is wild shit that sounds great it sounds you know things like that it's funny how that was a like you would you would find these things that were intended for kids back then that were just like terrifying or in this case very cynical and dark you know what i mean yeah. but it somehow I mean, was meant for kids you know i know because we yeah we just mentioned the age gap but like that's the thing is like when i was watching jaws and child's play as a kid like none of that shit scared me at all but are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps? They were like kids programming just completely fucked me up. Like they, they scared the living shit out of me. And like now going back to it, obviously it doesn't hold up, but it's, it's really weird how that stuff that's geared for kids and it's like, you know, rated G or, uh, and that's the stuff that really got under my skin. I think that's a thing of the past these days though, as far as like, you know, sort of, young people seem to be a little bit more uh, coddled, I think, in their entertainment, yeah. you know, so it's yeah. unfortunate. 
It is, but you never know when they're going to um, flip onto something on Netflix that they're not supposed to see. Like, I think about that all the time because that's how I got to see, like, The Exorcist at a young age was my dad had uh, an illegal satellite dish. Nice. And so, like, when he wasn't home, I'd be flipping through. And uh, that's how I saw American Werewolf in London for the first time. And I remember, like, I was that's, that movie scared the shit out of me when I was younger, actually. And now it's one of my favorites, but didn't pick up on the, the comedy as a kid. And, yeah, it just messed me up. Yeah, the, the comedy is what makes it even more disturbing, I think. I think oh, yeah. some, some of the best like horror comedy, the comedy actually supplements the, 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 the horror aspects of it. You know, I feel we just talked about uh, children shouldn't play with dead things, the uh, Bob oh, wow. film yeah. over on Necromaniacs. And that I saw that once again. I saw an edited version of that on TV when I was a kid, and uh, it was terrifying to me. And even now, when I rewatched it as an adult, I still was very, it was very uneasy, that movie, even though even the comedy elements of it, it just everything just seemed so dark and like unsettling in that movie, you know, and that's, that's what I think of horror comedy. I don't like the broad comedic stuff that happens in movies sometimes that are going into that genre more you know well even for bob clark too i think that one it gets overlooked because it's such an effectively i i think still such a scary movie but black christmas has a bunch of stuff baked in there that oh, have yeah. really funny moments but it never gets in the way of it being scary and if anything just makes it more realistic because of like the age group all the people hanging out they are telling jokes that are very well they're it, it, it's it's more that they're telling jokes that aren't landing and that's what is funny about it like because there's margot kidder's character is you know just always like kind of plastered making an asshole out of herself and really making things uncomfortable for anyone else in the room but because you're not in the room it's kind of funny uh but there's some realism to that right like it's there was you know it's the uh the the funny not funny uh elements of that movie are are actually like you know they're just they're just really grim most of the time i guess that's what what i've noticed too is like there's movies like black christmas where um like i i'm currently like a producer that i'm working with to get my next film off the ground he it is just becoming a horror fan um but he i'm exposing him to this stuff and he's like i don't know how you can watch this stuff and and uh handle it like i was even showing him the the evil dead remake uh but it's like to me it's funny because it's so extremely over the top or uh, the tone is so grim, like in Black Christmas, that's a movie I watch twice a year. But when you whenever you hear Billy talking on the phone, it's so grim and so dark that I can't help but giggle because like, it's just like, what? This is just, it's just deranged. I love that. You know, you know, it's a kind of an unsung Bob Clark uh, movie is uh, is Death Dream. Have you ever heard? Of I thought you might film? say that. Yeah, yep. yeah, that, yeah, that movie is so intense, man. And it's sad and it's just like, um. You know, it's a it's an anti-war film. It's um just such a dark movie, and uh, I think we're going to cover that on 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 Necromaniacs. We we started a um like a voice line. You know, people can like call and leave messages on this voicemail that we have, mm -hmm. and uh, we just started a couple weeks ago, and that was like a, a film that um a listener had recommended that we do, and it was it was a, a movie that I've been trying to convince Mike and Jeff to do for like a couple of years now. So I'm like, all right, now, now we have to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good movie. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. wild. No, I, I, I'm, uh, I mean, you were, either, you were, either, you were either going to say that or baby geniuses. So it had to be one of the two. So just getting back to, uh, to the, the Druid's hand, uh, Mitch, uh, it's a short film. Is there ever any 
sort of plan to expand that into a, a feature at some point? <laughs> Sorry, just one second. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I do. I would like to do that. Um, it's I think just for now, I'm I'm focusing on, you know, getting another short under my belt or uh, showing, you know, uh, doing another story first or a couple more, but I, I have full intent to revisit it at some point. Because uh, I think there's a reason why it was the first one that I that I did. And uh, I think even for people who have had the chance to see it, we fit a lot into a 15 minute time frame. And I'd like to have more time to breathe and to explore the themes that, you know, some of them didn't end up kind of making it onto the screen because they're just trying to put too much in. Uh, but it's it's something I'm very, very interested in doing eventually. Yeah, uh, Scott shared a link with me to check it out. And um, yeah, I, some of the things that come to mind, I wanted to ask you about this was, was any, any of those like seventies devil movies with, was any of that stuff an influence on this? Big, big time. Yeah. Big <laughs> time. I, I love like, yeah. yeah, I'm a, I love, I love, uh, you know, stories of like true, true occult and, you know, uh, specifically the satanic panic era of the eighties and nineties. Like that's something that really fascinates me. And, Obviously, that all stemmed from like the iconic imagery in movies like The Devil's Reign and uh, like all that kind of just really grim, evil Satan. Like, I'm just a big fan of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that. Um, like, I, I watched, I watched it a couple times. I mean, you know, it's a 15 minute film, so it's you, mm. can, you can check it out a few times, and you know, within an hour, you know. And uh, yeah, the atmosphere it has you know, kind of like that folksy like vibe to it, like that high plains kind of vibe, um, yeah. you know, and definitely I was thinking of devil's reign specifically when yeah. I, that's one of my favorites of the, of that seventies vibe of films. Yeah. Yeah. How can you go wrong with Ernest Borgnine and William Shatner in the same movie? Exactly. Yeah. That one's great. And like, uh, even there's a couple like in when people have a chance to see it, but there's a scene where, uh, the two, two guys are, um, killing a woman. Uh, there's a bunch of like imagery on the wall and some of that's from like you know classic stuff like the original wicker man which is also a favorite so yeah big fan of full core in general that's like that's kind of the sandbox i'm going to continue playing in for a little bit here that's um that's interesting especially like in north america really um yeah you know most people think of uh you know think of full car like it's like a british cornish kind of thing you know yeah christianity coming by way of the roman empire and the pagan you know for sure uh, yeah and and what's interesting about north america is just there's a very rich folk sort of mythology that's yeah. know, native to this continent as well and a lot of people haven't even really gotten into that yet really yeah that's a that's a, my exact thought process and i just i'm a big fan of uh you know movies like pan's labyrinth where they or like what guillermo does there and what was the other one uh, that i was thinking about uh, just movies that the stories that meld in classics, like other classic stories that have stood the test of time, like, you know, uh, like Alice in Wonderland is obviously what influenced Pan's Labyrinth, but then mixing it in with the cold reality. I'm just a big fan of that. No, it's a, it. Oh, sorry. sorry Mike. Go, go, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. Um, I, 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 it is uh, one thing that I dig about it, uh, about, I mean, if I, you know, Mitch, you've, you've heard, you've heard me uh, mention this before, but for folks who haven't had a chance to uh, travel through Saskatchewan, where we're from, uh, I, I, having a chance to see uh, the landscape 
the way it was all shot and everything like that. Because a lot of the time, if you're a Saskatchewan filmmaker, you just go someplace else and make movies that aren't uh, don't have anything to do with Saskatchewan. Um, I, I I would hope that by the end of this film's uh, run, that this is what the uh, Saskatchewan tourism is is. This is how they introduce people to the province. Yeah, well, funny, funnily enough, uh, we you know you were on site, you were on set for when we were filming and everything. Uh, that whole like witch burning site at the end, that's all still there. It hasn't been cleaned up. It's on the land. So, so oh, I'm so just, if somebody comes across that, they're going to think that, that that people were executed. Love, out. Lo- love the idea of, you know, kids breaking onto the land and coming across that because it's it's a sight to see. Yeah, I've done that drive across Canada before, actually, on the last last year um, on the last tour we did. Well, I think you you guys were supposed to play Regina, right? And then something happened with that show. Is that am yeah, I remembering yeah, correctly? That, that show that show got canceled actually. Was right, because I was gonna I was gonna come out and see that. Like, I mean, unfortunately, like when you're in this area of the country, sometimes if you want to go see a show, you're you're traveling three hours each way to make it out. But I I didn't want I I still after all these years haven't seen Tombs live yet. So I was uh, I I thought it was gonna be my shot, but it uh, yeah it didn't pan out. We'll, we'll be we'll be out in the fall actually um the, the current routing i saw go, goes through that same region um mm, okay of, of like west to east you know and like that's we skip the more yeah, uh, you, I, i'd yeah. imagine you probably can't say specifically yet but we'll talk offline like well hopefully i'm not out of town because i we've we've got dates that i'm not allowed to talk about yet that i i'm out of town for in the fall but uh yeah we we've got to make that happen at some point yeah, yeah, it's like we skipped the uh, the the meth area of the United States to uh, do southern Canada, and then do like Chicago, and then go back up into Canada, and go okay back to the civilized part of the United States. Well, depending on the time of year, I I, I have a execution site in uh, Saskatchewan. I can show you if you're oh you cool. You want we want to execute somebody while we're there? <laughs> Just for a tribute for for Drew's hand. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that part of the country, it's like, I, I just remember I was texting somebody while we were, we drove through part of that at overnight. I remember it was like, because the distances are so far that sometimes you have to do an overnight drive through there. And I was like, yeah, we're, you know, I took photos and sent it to this person. And then she's like, where, where are you? I'm like, you know, Southern Canada. And, and it's like, yeah, there, there's like werewolves and like, you know, man bats and wendigos yeah. and all sorts of stuff up here, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's 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 a real wild wild place, man, for sure. See, you're 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 looping back around though. That's the thing is, we should be mining like per per folk horror. We've got we have tales, we have legends, oh, yeah. and everything up here. So many, like and and as to why we ignore them, I don't know. I like yeah. there's lots to work with as far as the the notion of North North American folk horror. There's no lack of uh there's no lack of stories to pull from like both states and canada we have there's there's a ton to work with we just a lot of the time uh, i mean i understand aesthetically the folk horror thing i think it, it feels very british uh just but what we know to be folk horror just has its ties and its roots in that so i understand us constantly running back to and aping wicker man it makes sense but um i mean we uh, we have a lot to work with up here for sure and uh yeah. some some like grim past that uh it's people just, are still uncomfortable talking about that's exactly it. it's all about be, being able to do it respectfully uh because mm-hmm. like there is a, like a lot of the the true horrors in canada are all real like it's all mm-hmm. stuff that actually happened and i know like that's that was, 
another thing that might be kind of off topic, but like the whole aesthetic that we had, like the whole reason why I still tell this day, like I, I have every desire in me to go back and make feature films in, in Saskatchewan because it's such a beautiful landscape for horror. But that's why movies like like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the biggest influence for the Juritan. And it's because it looks like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre looks like Saskatchewan. Uh, like that's the whole aesthetic. It's very similar. And I know like that's why those movies really like that one really messed me up as a kid. Um, Jeepers Creepers really messed me up when I was younger because it also looked like this could be just on the highway five minutes from my front door. And yeah, it's just something about the backwoods redneck type stuff. It, it works perfectly for the prairies. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's that's I look forward to that. And uh, I think that's sort of just really fertile ground that a lot of people haven't really uh, mined. You know, now yeah. now with your script writing, what is there any do you are you a reader of horror as well or just yeah. A, OK? Yeah. yeah. So what, what sort of um, like literature and writing or anything like that might have influenced some of the work that you're doing? Uh, well, now, like I've always been an avid reader um, most yeah, most of my life and there's a lot of like, you know, the like I'm a big fan of like Cormac McCarthy stuff and like, you know, those really gritty um, like movie. Like I, I think it came to mind because I just read The Road. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like that's that's the kind of stuff I really like. There's a book with Daniel Donald Ray Pollock, The Devil All the Time, uh, which they just made a movie out of it. It came out a couple of years ago. It's fine. But the book is just that's one of the best books I've ever read in my life. Um, but there's that stuff. But lately. I know a lot of screenwriters feel differently on this, but I feel like I like reading scripts. And so I've been reading, I try and read as many scripts as I can because uh, A, it will help me, you know, clean up my form. Uh, but it also shows that there really is no rules in writing a script. Like uh, you look at any of the, the most current stuff that's selling and making big waves at the box office, it's all very clinical and to the point and just kind of bare bones which is understandable because you got to pass around to a crew and it's all about just making it make sense for everyone they're not there to read your prose but then i read jacob's ladder recently and i think that's my favorite script i've ever read and it's like it reads like a it's half of it's written in prose it just reads so well um and yeah interesting yeah i don't think i've ever actually read a script i mean I, you know i'm not a filmmaker but uh yeah yeah that's i i that the, the little bit of that I've, that I have read is um is like just like bare bones direction and dialogue you yeah know? and and that's it's interesting that that was written more like a prose piece you know yeah like the, of course there are moments where um like the whole thing with screenwriting now is like everyone who wants to give you advice they say there's got to be more white on the page there's got to be less less say say more with less and I'm like there's I understand that and I respect that but I really like enjoying what I'm reading. Um, so like sure. there's so many screenplays that uh, that I've read recently that like Jacob's Ladder just really stood out to me and it kind of blew my mind. I'm like, I can't believe this movie was made. And then, you know, watching the movie again afterwards and fuck, it just it jumped up so high in my books. Like I watched that one when I was too young, didn't get it. I just it flew over my head. Watch it again recently after reading the screenplay. And it's one of my favorites now, I think. Yeah, it's one just, of the most affecting pieces of work. I absolutely yeah. we 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 talked about that. I think in the lead up to Druid's hand, if I'm not mistaken, Mitch. I yeah, both of us yeah, big shared love for that that movie. Yeah, yeah. I just recently rewatched that within the last few months, and that that's like one of my favorites. That movie. It's just so 
just the the vibe and the tone of that movie and just that kind of the ending is like kind of like a existentially dark ending yeah it's Mm -hmm. bananas the shit that that they got on screen in that movie and at at that time like the fact that that was a wide release movie that you know was very successful is just mind-blowing to me but yeah can you can you imagine that getting greenlit today (laughs) <laughs> uh, well they they remade it a couple of years ago of course i haven't seen it but yeah well we, was, we don't we don't talk about that no, I, that exactly. was, I, I didn't even know it was remade really yeah and just from the trailer that i watched they it's like they went a erotic thriller route oh man <laughs> like oh jacob's it, ladder just it makes looks, it, look, it looks like a joke it looks like a joke it doesn't look real it doesn't look no. like the same. It doesn't look like a remake of Jacob's Ladder. You'd have to be told, it, like you have to wait for the the title to come up. But yeah. like it's it's embarrassing. Yeah, oh, man, that that's a bummer. Yeah, that was actually one of the ones for. Uh, I think I might have referenced this uh, when we were. That's why we were talking about it, Mitch. I it was because I referenced the that first chunk of music on the soundtrack was a big one for me on on the soundtrack work I did for Druid's Hand. Actually, uh, yeah. just the the first piece of music. It's like it. The way that it's formatted on the actual physical soundtrack is is kind of sort of nonsense, but like the there's a big chunk of that one that mixes the like that is melodic, but then it's also it breaks into some some dissonance and some kind of like more textural stuff. And that was, I think, something I pointed to you as something I wanted to do. Yeah. But that I don't think that that I rem- I'm remembering it all now. It's all coming back to me. That wasn't on any streaming sites. Like I just have a cassette copy of it. So I think we yeah. were talking about that. And I, ca- and I think I might have sent you like a YouTube link. And I was kind of going like, this is the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking for that. Like, because, you know, I like to I like to listen to soundtracks or scores while I write. And uh, that's what was great was when we were writing the Druid's Hand, Scott had provided all of this, this material from, you know, some stuff that you did by yourself and then some stuff that was kind of um, negative tracks on Adeline Records and stuff like that. And uh, I loved like it's the, the vibe that Scott can create. And, you know, I think that he really boosted our film with the Druid's Hand was like it's a really evil story. It's very bleak and dark. There's not a shred of almost humanity in it like it's it's just mean and i kind of like that like that's kind of my vibe um but it's also like it's really sad and then when we gave it to scott to you know lay the tracks down and we got it back at like i'll never forget the moment where me and jesse and ray were sitting in in scott's office there and just listening watching the film for the first time with his score it was like god damn you found a way to make our sad evil movie so much more brutal and sad and yeah it's it's so happy with it you have uh, Mitch Clark, the uh, former UFC uh, MMA fighter, cast in the film. So how how'd you, how'd you come across him? He was a guest on the Terror Table. Really? That's, oh yeah, man, we, I didn't. Yeah. I have to find that episode. Okay, yeah, I, I, no, I haven't heard that one. No, and he, uh, yeah, he's a very good. He's become a very good friend. He was in town inside, like, because he's originally from Saskatoon, uh, but he now lives in Edmonton. Um, but he he was in town because he's a pro wrestler as well, and. Uh, you know, a, one of the programmers and fe- co- the assistant festival director uh, for the film fest in Saskatoon, Jeff, he also coordinates and hosts uh, Prairie Pro Wrestling, which is like, you know, kind of underground pro wrestling. And I'd never been to one of those things, but he messaged me. He's like, hey, Mitch Clark, like the former UFC fighter, he's a big horror fan. You should reach out to him. And I did. And yeah, that was one of those things where, yeah, we talk all the time still. And he was a big he was a big reason why I was able to take this leap because uh, he kind of gave me some some really good advice and, you know, put some confidence in me to 
push myself and try something and uh it just seemed natural to be like well if i'm gonna do this you gotta act you gotta be in it and that's uh, awesome he was immediately down and i don't know how much has been shared at this point but i feel like i can say it like he he did great in the film i loved working with him and i'm gonna do it again eventually absolutely uh but he ended up he just uh acted in a feature-length horror film that was filmed in in calgary there so i'm very excited for that to come out and people to see and he's you know he's acting now and that's awesome that's yeah great. i'm so proud of him I like to see when those guys have like a, a post, like a, you know, something good to go to instead of just getting, you know, their brains beaten. scrambled and exactly, up, yeah. you know, have like a CTE and that sort of thing, you know? Exactly. And I, I think we put them that, that dude, honestly, we, we tortured all three of our cast members on that, that movie. Uh, you look at Gabe who played the, the creature there, like she's covered head to toe in black makeup. And I think she was in the shower that night for good, part of two hours just trying and she was still scrubbing stuff off apparently weeks later just like couldn't get everything out because we went really ham on that on that makeup uh, but then we filmed that during a heat wave in saskatchewan oh, and man. made mitch clark wear you know some jeans and a undershirt and then a fucking puffy winter coat yeah kind of a marty mcfly kind of vest yeah. thing right yeah. yeah he's an evil marty mcfly and uh yeah and we had him like up in the in the attic of a church it was the hottest day of the oh, year I can imagine yeah, and he's yeah. crawling through there and i'm like just the fact that he he went that far for us is just so that i'll always be in debt to him so the film is done and is is it playing in festivals or anything like that so what's what's the uh, the current status of everything with the film yeah we so originally we were planning on uh doing our online release so we can just pop it up on youtube or some kind of platform so we can share it with everyone because we a lot of people they they can ride out a festival like do the festival circuit for a couple of years that's we're just not interested in doing that we've had a great run so far uh we got to play in some amazing places like uh uh portland horror which was you know a bucket list for me i love that festival and like the kind of stuff they program it just it, that was the first festival i was ever we were ever accepted into um so that was amazing and then i uh, played fog fest in newfoundland and um we played las vegas uh we went down to scream fest in los angeles and showed the film at the chinese theater which was oh wow high, highlight of my life absolutely and uh we're now we just we've been waiting to see if we get in this one other festival that we really wanted to play and we were accepted and we're playing at uh, calgary underground film festival at i believe we'll be playing april 22nd and I'm going to be flying out there for that. And I think that's going to cap off our festival run. Awesome, man. Yeah. So, so people, um, if they're interested in, uh, you know, do you, do you have some kind of landing page for all this stuff for information about this, this film and also future films? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd say to go to our Instagram, uh, Drew's hand. We have a, we have an Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, but I think the Instagram's the one that we utilize the most. And, um, you know, my own page is like, uh, you can find it probably from the Druid's hand, but just Mitch Oliver underscore. And uh, that's where I'm going to be gearing up right now to get working on my next one. And really excited because uh, this is the first time I guess I'm sharing it, but uh, bring Scott back on and Scott's going to provide the music for, for this next one here. And it's just the I most didn't exciting know, shit. I, I didn't know whether we were going public with that or not. I've been being, no, being very quiet yeah no it's it's absolutely fine to share that it's uh yeah we i've been hard at work on another one and so hoping to do 
uh, another short and this one is absolutely without a doubt like the goal is to get a feature made um already the feature is mostly written at this point we have all all the beats planned out and i uh, got some really exciting people behind it uh, the talented folks out and this will be my first one out on in the pacific northwest in vancouver so you know tapping into a lot of the people that i've gotten to know through the industry here a lot of other hungry creative independent filmmakers who are coming on board and i have an amazing producer patrick tozer who's uh who's just been the heartbeat of getting this made and it's really really exciting i'm so stoked about this one so that's awesome find, man yeah all the info for that would be like on my instagram if anyone's interested and once again what's that what's that handle for the instagram mitch oliver underscore awesome. or mitch sorry mitch dot oliver yeah there's too many mitch <laughs> olivers out there <laughs> and scott everyone knows about you because you were just on a few months ago so you know yeah no, <laughs> no, no, everyone knows they've already forgotten no <laughs> yeah yeah and, and the podcast uh you know where can people find uh find that you know that's on all all the streaming platforms yeah. and all that yeah spotify podbean uh apple Podcasts, all that you can find the terror table and uh yeah we're on facebook instagram and twitter as well over there and yeah we're just gearing up to try and you know make a schedule of some exciting films to talk about because We've on, been on kind of a dry spell of uh, bad movies. We just reviewed uh, Queen, of, Queen of the Damned and Dracula 2000. And our next one is Ghost Ship and Darkness Falls. And I said, uh, like, what are you doing, man? It's, it was New Metal March. Dude, I was going to say, I, I appreciate I appreciate the New Metal March uh, <laughs> moniker, man. I was like, because I, I, I recently watched Queen of the Damned, like, I think it maybe December last year. Yeah. And I was like, man, this music is like awful, dude. And I was like, <laughs> uh, we were having a, having a joke about that, about yeah. new, new metal in general is something that I joke. We joke around a, a lot. At oh practice. yeah. 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 No, it was, it was a dark time and how it, <laughs> yeah, how it, uh, you know, worked its way into horror. And like, there was an era there in the early two thousands where all of these teen horror movies just had jam packed soundtracks of, Limp Bizkit and corn, <laughs> all this other awful music that I, I do listen to. <laughs> I'm a there, masochist. There was a, it, it's kind there's like a, a weird, like, or there was at least, it might still be going on, but there was like a weird resurgence of that style of music again. Oh, it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah, I remember there's... the guy who, um, Bobby Torres, the guy who recorded our last two records, he, um, mm -hmm. you know, he's like a, He's, he's got a studio here in New Jersey and he's, you know, we, we talk all the time and he's like, yeah, dude, there's like this interesting thing happened. This band came in and they described themselves as a new metal band. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? He's like, yeah, where they, they called themselves a new metal band. That's hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's no, happening. it's coming. Everything's cyclical. It's all coming back. Unfortunately, Jinko jeans are going to be next. That that was like one of the worst styles, I think. Oh ever. yeah, yeah, yeah. The gigantic pants and t-shirts and yeah, just chain like, wallets, chain for wallets. People I, who aren't bikers. Yeah, I kind of I I don't I have like I, I've I've rocked with the chain wallet for a lot a large period of my life. I can't really front on the chain wallet. <laughs> There's but. a different kind of. I'm talking about the chain wallet on the Jinko jeans. Oh, like the, the really, really long extensive one. long. And there was like, a, I don't know if it was a Canadian chain, but uh, Scott will absolutely know about this, but Randy River, it was this like apparel store that just had the worst. It was all like new metal looks and like, it, it was like bargain bin goth store. 
Yeah, yeah, because we didn't have anything that's uh, what what do they call them? Hot the, topic. Uh, hot topic. Yeah, we don't have yeah. anything like that. It, it's a lot cleaner and like I mean honestly, like I mean I've never I've never shopped for my clothes at a mall, so um, I'm still I'm still wearing I literally am still wearing some of the same T-shirts I was wearing in high school. So I mean I I'm 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 nobody to be talking about about fashion, but um, yeah, that was that was at one point in time the the thing that you were trying to approximate was looking like you were a member of fucking I don't know whatever spine shank or something Static like that spine, spine yeah. shank <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was I was trying to come up with with one that wasn't limp biscuit um yeah. uh b- being a member of boba flex that's a real <laughs> band name Jesus did you guys yeah, ever check Jesus. out that uh the the Tommy Lee new metal band that he had oh my god yeah I stumbled upon that uh recently I had no idea that that existed but I just came across it man yeah it's that's dark shit I remember when that was around. I mean, I think we might have even talked about this when I was on your pod last time, Mike. But like, I mean, that was a big like line in the sand for me was when music like that was starting to really take a strong hold. Like I was just like, I just threw my hands up and said, like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. Like my first band started off as being like, I mean, it was started in elementary school. So like, I mean, we didn't know what was going on but we made you know decisions were starting to be made fashion wise that were making me go like we're starting to look like well not we i i was dressed the way i'm dressed today but everyone else they were starting to look like clowns to me and uh it was because everyone was looking like you know they they were starting to look like the coal chamber they were starting to look like members of coal chamber and um and and also i mean the music was dipping into that direction i just kind of went like i don't think i like heavy music anymore this is really really stupid which is around probably around i i was like oh hey what's this joy division thing and then i you know i took care of myself for quite a few years but uh that that stuff uh was was so abject to me and so antithetical to like true uh you know like especially a a kind of music supposed to be rooted in discontent and rage and everything like that it was it was never any more evident that it was manufactured than at that point in history and i and i just like it just it made me want to puke i just and still and still it still does i mean there's a lot there's 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 bands under that umbrella that i i i think have Deftones. Interesting things. Deftones is still uh, great. I'm, uh, I'm a big uh, Deftones no, fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm one of those people that I guess you would put on the uh, apologist list as far as yeah. like, I, I just, I, I can't hang with anyone who's going to sit there and tell me that they're a new metal band. I can't, I can't even have, like, it's such a dumb conversation. I don't have the <laughs> stomach for it. Um, but like, I mean, there's lots of bands that I think were like, I mean, it was what was predominant. So there's, there's creative people working within that realms of that stuff or people that, maybe have a shadowy history they're you know doing really good music now that come from that era or whatever that's fine but i mean i i know for me that was a uh, that was a nauseous period of of music See, and i was 10 years old so right. I, I get a pass yeah no, you do you do yeah it's that's a different you know that you definitely get a pass for that you know yeah the uh the, the tommy lee was going through his adventures with pamela anderson i believe when when he was doing his new metal phase yeah 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 and then he switched to his acoustic stuff which was equally exhilarating i don't think i've i've, I've experienced any of that stuff yeah, I realize he had acoustic records or i guess when i say acoustic uh it actually i think he described it as that there's an there's an album called tommy land tommy land <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just the most like i don't even know how you like just 
oh god it's just pot, like great it's terrible it's terrible <laughs> See, music peak tommy lee for me and like in in my in my life like the most hilarious thing and like a of a, a, a new a new low for him which i think yeah yeah i'm thinking about it it's it's lower than uh his new metal band was i saw motley crew before they had come back around and been cool again they were on a like a reunion tour and uh it, it just hadn't like the wave hadn't started for them again yet they weren't packing theaters they were eating shit in saskatoon saskatchewan it was not a good scene it was like yeah. it, it was a pretty empty uh pretty empty arena and i got um free tickets from a friend's dad's friend or something like that and uh there was a point in the show where he, he had just gotten out of uh prison for uh, domestic abuse speaking of pamela anderson I, as i recall i think she was the one who was uh yeah had him sent to jail and um and he went out and did a speech about how he had been thinking about all of us while he was in there and all this and and, and went on this big thing and it was just a a, a you know third of full arena of people chanting his name <laughs> because while he was uh in prison on a domestic abuse rap was thinking about all of us and then he uh he 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 cried while everyone chanted his name for like 10 yeah. minutes it was the most insane thing i've ever seen he's not a narcissist at all no no <laughs> and and then the next time i saw him because that was not the only time that i saw him all the crew for free um he uh because he's always got to have some trick or something he does live uh you know with his, his drum kit you know whether he gets in a ball and then drops the ball on the audience and crushes people or whatever it is that he's doing this time around it is his drum kit was hooked up to this uh it was like a roller coaster that ran across the ceiling of the arena and it was just him half drumming along to this really bad dj mix of a bunch of different songs and uh i've been back and reviewed the tape because you know this is this is well into the everyone recording everything that goes on at a concert phase and uh it, it it's it is hilariously stupid to to watch if you check out any any footage of Tommy Lee doing his drum roller coaster um what an embarrassing thing for someone to do with their time and your money like wild bullshit like i mean I, I, his his new metal band is embarrassing but like i mean he doesn't stop coming up with things to be embarrassed about no he's doing like a yeah i can't first of all i can't believe this tangent on Tommy Lee right now but he's, he's doing like a it's like a rap, a rap like he's rapping now. Oh too. God! Yeah, Tommy Lee at this current age is rapping. <laughs> what's so the name of this? Unreal. What's the name of this project? What's the project's name? I I think it's just under like I just looked up on Spotify and I think it's just if you search up Tommy Lee, it's one of the most recent ones. Oh man! I came up I came across it yeah because I was watching I I tried watching that uh, the Hulu show yeah, uh, about yeah Pam yeah. and Tommy and then I was like fell down the rabbit hole and <laughs> this horrible human being. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a great way to end the, end the podcast episode. Our discussion <laughs> of new metal and Tommy Lee. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, guys, and I appreciate it. And um, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to finding out when the next movie's coming out and everything. So definitely stay in touch about that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for for inviting us on, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome. All right, guys, have a good evening. Take care. <laughs>